0: I've written a paper, which I hope that the, the, the management will will let other people read, and I encourage you to read it. Uh, I will say, just say a few words about it. Uh, my purpose is is to uh, examine the philosophical and practical basis for the American people's rejection of the past century's peculiar internationalism. That internationalism is uh, merely a uh, uh, the other side. Of the, of the coin, of the uh, um, the progressive attempt to uh, to take government away from people and to put it in the hands of um, of officials. Uh, and what is wrong with the people, where the people are not supposed to be nearly as intelligent as the uh, as officials about what is good and bad. Uh, this is not a peculiar. This is not an, uh, uh, an American problem. This is a essentially a uh, European problem. Those of you who have read uh, Tocqueville's uh, uh, the the um, uh, old regime and the revolution are acquainted, or are simply acquainted with, with European history, know that um, the, uh, the the French monarchy is really responsible for not merely the practice but also the theory uh, of um, uh, bureaucratic aristocracy uh, the theory of bureaucratic aristocracy was then put in was then uh, put into modern practice by napoleon uh, the institutions of uh, of the state or the modern state were essentially invented practically invented by napoleon uh, Invented, perhaps is too strong a word. They were simply refashioned uh, in a um, uh, in a modern way, in terms and rephrased in terms of careers open to talent. Uh, the um, uh, G. W. Uh, F. Hegel uh, translated in, in his in his uh, philosophy of history translated uh, these institutions into a, a, a kind of secular theology uh, and uh, American progressives picked up Hegel uh, in the second half of the of the, of the uh, eight, 19th century uh, and um, uh, began to propagate that uh, among the upper middle classes of America as um, really the, uh, an alternative to the American constitution which they saw as deeply flawed because it was excessively popular because it placed uh, ultimate control in the hands of, um, of the hoi polloi. Now, why did the American uh, regime, why, why is the American regime so, so radically popular? Uh, it is, and the answer is written in the Declaration of Independence, which begins by stating that uh, one people, any people, has the right to a separate and equal station among the other peoples of the earth. Now, what makes any people the equal in, in that sense of any other people? Well, because the Declaration goes on to, to explain in words which have eclipsed all the other words in the, in the, in the Declaration, because all men are created equal. Uh, now, uh, that means that, it goes on to say, that no one may rule another without, uh, without uh, the other's consent. Uh, now, this, uh, this has been interpreted correctly, Uh, As applying to relations between individuals who are part of the same people. But obviously, uh, it depends, this individual liberty depends on the collective liberty of whole peoples to rule themselves. Because, of course, if (laughs) they don't rule themselves, then the question arises who rules? And that question is both uh, uh, say an individual and a collective question. Now, uh, the uh, the historic uh, default answer of mankind uh, was uh, was put by by Plato into, into the mouth of Thucydides, Tro- uh, who who said that um, uh, the strong everywhere rule by right. People rule by by because they can. And uh, Thucydides put that into the mouth of, of the Athenian negotiators at Melos. They said, the strong do what they can, the weak suffer what they must. Well, the, um, the, uh, the Americans, uh, the American Declaration of Independence, succinct, Plato, of course, goes on to refute that at, at great length. Not to refute it, but to expand upon it and to refute it at great length. The Declaration of Independence is quite succinct. No, this is not true. And it isn't true. Why? Because of the self-evident truth of, of human equality. Why is that truth self-evident? Well, well, it's not self-evident to everybody. It's self-evident to those who believe what Genesis says in chapter 2, that, that, that God created man in his own image. Male and female he created them now, if you believe that yeah, that each individual is a uh, uh, is in the image of God himself, well then you cannot help but believe that all are equal uh, in the sight of God, and that therefore individ- individuals have rights with regard to one another, inalienable rights with regard to one another, and that whole collectivities have the right. To determine their own status vis-a-vis others. Now, the uh, uh, what about the American people? Now, now, the two rights, by the way, don't necessarily go together, um, because people rec- all sorts of people recognize the uh, because it's very easy to recognize that uh, they are distinct and therefore uh, naturally entitled to. Who govern themselves rather than to be governed by people across the sea, or across the, uh, or who are radically different from themselves. People are. That's an easy thing to recognize. Far more difficult to recognize that um, uh, that people have rights, inalienable rights with regard to one another. The American people, from the very beginning, recognized both. And I want to read you the um, the. Uh, the the, the finest, uh, most succinct description of all of this in the words of John Quincy Adams who is admirable in so many ways he explained that the the founders of America the, the American Declaration the people were associated bodies of civilized men and Christians in a state of nature but not of anarchy they were bound by the laws of God which they all, and by the laws of the gospel, which nearly all acknowledged as the rules of their conduct. They were bound by the principles, which they themselves had proclaimed in the Declaration, by all the beneficent laws and institutions which their forefathers had brought with them from their mother country, by habits of hardy industry, by frugal and hospitable manners, by the general sentiment of social equality, by pure and virtuous morals. These people... This people, he said, were were to cultivate and show forth a character, commitment, and cohesion peculiar and separate from that of other nations. It is a common government that constitutes our country. But in that association, that association, all the sympathies of domestic life and kindred blood, all the moral ligatures of friendship and of neighborhood are combined with that instructive and mysterious connection between man and physical nature, which binds the first perceptions of childhood in a chain of sympathy with the last gasp of expiring age to the spot of their nativity and the natural object by which it is surrounded. These sympathies belong and are indispensable to the relations ordained by nature between the individual and his country. These are the feelings under which the children of Israel sat down by the rivers of Babylon and wept when they remembered Zion. Uh, this, mind you, was a peculiar American statement about a peculiar America. Uh, and the foreign policy that, that um, uh, went, went forth from that realization of what mankind is, what, the, what creation is, and what America is, that uh, um, dictated relations uh, with others uh, that uh, proceeded from a tight focus on America. Now, uh, this of course was not invented by Adams. Adams was describing the, the, the common sense of the, of the founding generation. That common sense required, uh, had required the Revolutionary War for the purpose of establishing collective liberty, and required a, a relations with, with other peoples that above all maintained that independence. And it would maintain that independence by minimizing political commitments. Not doing without them, of course, because after all, uh, American independence had been made possible by an alliance with France. Uh, but keeping those commitments to necessity. Why? Well, also because there was no need for anything else. One of the, uh, uh, John Quincy Adams, of course, a master diplomat uh, uh, who was, uh, well, he spoke five languages fluently and was, as uh, I said, more intimately acquainted with uh, the world than just about any other person of his time. Uh, he realized that uh, although international relations is rife with treaties or agreements, and, kinds, that agreements are not really what runs relations between peoples or disagreements. Paper uh, strictures uh, or uh, parchment barriers, as as James Madison put it, are not what determine actions. What determines action is interest. What is it that nations want? And these cannot be either ordained or forbidden or or prevented by what is written on paper. Uh, Therefore, uh, John Quincy Adams urged uh, Americans of his time and his successors to uh, not to enter into formal commitments unless absolutely necessary and to do so only when time and circumstance required. Again, this is not devaluing commitment. It is being honest about what actually constitutes and makes commitments, real commitments possible, real ones. Real commitments are made by an understanding of what is actually required at at any given time. Alliances, such as with France, were simply dictated by the circumstances. Uh, They could not have been, the the alliance was not an, an end in itself. It was dictated by the by, by time and circumstance, uh, and to pretend to anything else is is quite false. Now, why is it, and, and um, I know I'm using up my time, uh, why is it that uh, we have come to pretend that alliances, uh, arrangements, or um, are, um, are are so worthwhile? Well, because the people who enter into these commitments do so. Not so much for the uh, to to direct the country um, to for, for to achieve specific ends, but rather to uh, to bind the country uh, more and uh, most specifically to bind their domestic opponents to certain um, in, in certain ways. In other words, these alliances, and we see this most prominently in the case of NATO. <laughs> Uh, and and um, by the way, Charles de Gaulle, who is a particular a particular object of, um, you know, of interest for me, uh, recognized this in the case of uh, France, that um, what was the NATO was a means of, by which some Frenchmen exercised power over others, <laughs> and just as uh, just as some of us recognize that NATO is not so much a means by which the United States. Exercise uh, pursues its own interests as it is a means by which some Americans exercise power over other Americans uh, and, uh, Donald Trump who does not understand many things I believe understands that uh, now uh, what is it to conclude what is it that uh, the uh, the elites uh, want out of international relations very simply they do not want any particular international outcome so much as they wish to reaffirm their own power over other, uh, over other Americans. What is it that uh, the, um, the rest of us want or ought to want out of international relations? Well, if John Khrushchev were here, he would say, the main thing we want is to be able to exercise our collective liberty. What we want is the opportunity to pronounce ourselves as a collectivity, as a nation, on what we ought to be doing for ourselves, what's in it for us in this or that situation. Uh, It it really is not so much a matter of individual policies as it is a matter of, of, of power. Uh, let me uh, now, uh, I, I, would be, I would be unfaithful to myself if I did not uh, uh, point out one of the elements uh, of, of that power, uh, one of that, especially of military power, and that is the ability to not just defend, but to win wars, the uh, instruments of national power. Diplomacy, military force, intelligence have been so denatured by uh, by our elites that uh, so denatured into, into objects of corporate interest, corporate in the, in, the, in the broader sense of the word, interests of, of those who manage them, that they have they are no longer performing or able to perform or even interested in performing the the purposes for which they were constituted. In the case of military force, we have forces that cost the better part of a trillion dollars a year and which have not won a war in a half century. And the guiding instrument of which agonizes of whether they ought to be winning one war at a time or two wars at a time. Now, you know, this is this is really quite ridiculous. Uh, some of you may have read that the Iran Corporation ra- ran some uh, war games uh, about the, the possible, well, the designated uh, uh, next major or possible major uh, Uh, engagements of the U.S. armed forces, namely in the um, Western Pacific against China and uh, in the northern and southern Ukraine uh, in in, uh, Europe and have concluded that the U.S. armed forces would, quote, get their asses kicked. How could this possibly be? How could forces that are in virtually all measurable ways, the finest in the world, do end up that way, quite simply because of uh, they are mismatched, the that they in in uh, in time and circumstance, uh, and how can this be? Well, this can be only because of a certain unseriousness, uh, which is a, a another topic, uh, but um, I would be delighted to to to, uh, to enter into the, the, the details. My main point is, however, that. Um, Uh, Were the American people to be exercising their due diligence with regard to foreign affairs, which they are now prevented from doing, uh, uh, we would have a very different foreign policy and a very different military force. Thank you.